Cash Flow Diary Podcast, episode 483. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of the Cash Flow Diary Podcast, the podcast that teaches you insider tips, tactics, and strategies for creating leveraged streams of cash flow into your life. Learn from top-performing entrepreneurs, business owners, investors, and thought leaders from across the globe as they share their secrets to success. Like what you learn on this and other Cashflow Diary podcast episodes? Go to learninvestingnow.com and sign up to receive powerful tips and information that will help you succeed as an entrepreneur and investor. Now, here's your host, investor, entrepreneur, business owner, educator, speaker, author, and master facilitator of Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Game, Jay Massey. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Diary Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Massey, and I'm glad that you are here today because when it comes down to it, you and I, we can come up with really, well, we'll call them awesome ideas, or at least we think they're awesome. In fact, we, we get so excited about them that we may go out there and begin telling other people, you know, on a one-to-one basis, or we, we just like, you know what, I'm going to start my business. Well, one of the challenges that you will soon realize is that in order to be in business, you need this other thing called a customer. You need to find them. You need to know where they are and then explain your product and have them to be able to understand your product or service in such a way that they go, man, I didn't know I need that. But now that I do, I want it and I want it from you. And that is a very specific process that Well, you could say it's a science. Some would call it an art. Either way it goes, I have with us today someone that I'm going to call a mad science artist. Yes, because when you are in the digital marketing world, everything that I have seen, it, it, it is amazing, you know, when you watch these individuals work and do what they do. It, it, there is a science to it, but there is an art to it. And you'll be able to hear that as we talk to Cade Wilcox today. Now, you may know him uh, from Primitive Social. It's a digital marketing agency. But what's really interesting uh, to me is the fact that he has a not only a helpful attitude, he just he wants to be of service. And that's really key for your marketing individuals. But according to him, he's got two amazing kids. That mean that doesn't mean your kids aren't amazing. He just knows that his kids are amazing. He loves to work. But here's the thing I want to say. Could you imagine what your life would be like if you went from your idea to growing it into a multi-million dollar company with nearly 50 employees? How would that feel? What would you have to share? And what would you hope people would learn every time you opened your mouth? Well, we're going to find out. Help me welcome Cade Wilcox. Cade, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. I, I really appreciate you having me on today. I'm glad you're able to make the time, (laughs) you know, at the end of the day, from what I have seen from a lot of marketing agencies, the amount of energy it takes to to divest in inside someone else's product, someone else's services. It's amazing that you, you know, you have time for anything else. Sure. No, it's my, my pleasure to be here and excited to spend some time with you. So this being your first time here. Uh, I, I got to ask you the same question I didn't ask everybody the first time that they're here. You ready? 
Yes, sir. All right. I tend to look at today's entrepreneurs a lot like yesterday's superheroes. You know, Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, etc. Because I think entrepreneurs and superheroes have a ton of things in common. Chief among them, as an entrepreneur, a man, occasionally I can imagine myself, you know, using our products and services to save our customers as we may possibly fly around town in a caper tights. But at the same time, just like a superhero, an entrepreneur has a beginning. So if you think about Spider-Man, for example, there was a time where he was just a kid going to school, doing his thing, taking some photos. That was it. Maybe trying to get some pizza money and have a date on the weekend. But then one day he gets bit by a spider, discovers I have a special ability, and now he's presented with a choice. Will I use it for good or for evil? So my question to you is as follows. Before Primitive Social, before, you know, even your your work at the, the children's camp and, and Redeemer Church and all those types of things, before <laughs> before even being married and your two amazing kids. What we want to know is who is Cade Wilcox? Uh, that that's a that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, before all that, I, I was pretty simple. I grew up in a really small town of about three hundred fifty people, and there are two uh, major oh, things. Did that, you say three fifty? Three fifty. Yeah, really. <laughs> okay, small. this is gonna be yeah, good. Really, really, really all small. Right. And so I was really impacted by a couple of things growing up that I think you know in in the end would impact my entrepreneurial journey. Number one is I played a tremendous amount of sports. I mean, we're in a really small rural community, and so you participated in everything. And lots and lots of values I, I got out of that. But that's one of those things that I think was really instructive early on that I can identify all kinds of things that, that have, you know, in the end helped prepare me for the work I'm doing now. And then the other thing is I grew up in a, in a really large family. So I, only, I have a twin brother and a little sister. My, my mom was one of nine kids, and a tremendous amount of my cousins all lived in the same community. And so we grew up around family, and uh, that that had a huge impact on me. And it was an agricultural community, so you know the the characteristics and, and and the uniqueness of growing up in a small community that's agriculturally focused. You know, there, there's a lot of things about learning how to work hard, uh, following through with what you say you're going to do. Um, you know, leaning leaning into people. Um, you know, when times are tough and when times are good. So those are the kinds of things that that I experienced growing up. That didn't necessarily, you know, paint this entrepreneurial picture for me. But in hindsight, you know, the things I learned, the values, um, you know, all those kinds of things that came out of that absolutely kind of instructed me and shaped me as I as I moved in kind of the you know entrepreneurial direction, for lack of a better word. Got it. Totally understood. And sports often comes up in the background of many of the entrepreneurs that we have talked to. But you said it was a town of 350 people, so I'm left wondering. How did you guys even feel the sports team? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, if we were a really small school, but you know, I'd have around 20 people in our class, yeah. and uh, yeah, we made it work. I mean, we actually um, won a state championship in basketball in the state of Texas, uh, which is no. you know, yeah, absolutely, which is a big deal no matter what classification you are. Wow, extremely competitive in you know 11 man football. So you know, we we had small teams, but we were always able to do it and. Uh, very, very, very competitive. So. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Now, in what you said, though, there was one phrase that I wanted to dig into for a second. You said leaning into people. What What do you mean? You know, I don't. I I only grew up in one small town, um, but I I assume and, and believe this is true of lots of rural communities that when you you know when you're you're a part of something so small and so, so tight knit, 
that when things are, are good and, and or things are, are challenging, you're experiencing those things with the same people, whether you're suffering or whether you know, you're celebrating good things. And in our particular rural community, um, that's, that's the way it worked. I mean, you, you celebrated things together and you mourned things together. And so you, you learn, um, even if it's unintentionally, you learn how to depend on other people. You learn how to live within, you know, community with other people. You know, in a small town, there's no, there's no escaping your neighbor. You know, you live in a major city, you don't even have to know your neighbor. Um, you, you, you could, you could live around hundreds of people and not know a single one of them and, you know, kind of get by. And in a small town, it doesn't work that way. Um, you, you really uh, have to depend on one another. And I think that that was really instructive and really impactful on me then, but especially now, you know, as I'm a little older and uh, you know, having to, um, you know, lead people and create community within our companies and things of that nature. So you, you realize you, you said your class was 20 people. That's right. Okay. But your company is 50. Yeah. So you're, <laughs> so we, 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 it sounds like there's a journey here that I want you to take us on. How do we go from 20 people in a class to even develop? Okay. So here, cause here's where I'm kind of coming from. You had to develop a vision that was large enough, not only for yourself, but uh, a vision that's large enough to, to be responsible for the incomes of 50 other individuals, which I'm just going to say isn't always the the mindset uh, and unless you're in a bigger spot, uh, you know, or a bigger fishbowl, so to speak. So I'm curious to to hear more about this journey, how it developed and what gave you the courage to pursue it. Uh, really good questions. First of all, I've always been a dreamer. I mean, I, I can remember times when I was in first and second grade. And uh, my mom was a basketball coach, so we were like born in the gym. Nice. And I remember being a second grader, and uh, you know, you, ha- you used to have these little—they look like plastic briefcases for kids. You know, they segmented your paper from your pens from your erasers. And uh, mine was navy blue on the bottom and light blue on the top. And I remember writing on the top in markers, you know, the years we were going to win state championships in basketball. And I mean, and that's just one of you know countless examples of you know when I was a little kid, I just I was always a dreamer. And I mean, there's lots of people who are dreamers, but the thing that I, that I really appreciate and admire from, from my growing up days is that no one ever tried to squash my dreams. I mean, my, my parents supported them. I mean, I never recall a single time, you know, anyone bemoaning the fact that I was a dreamer or, you know, using the word dreamer as a derogatory. I mean, everyone, you know, it was always a positive sense. I mean, they, they spoke of it as if it highlighted a strength of mine, not a deficit. And so that, that was really instructive for me. So as I got older and, and I came into opportunities in college and other places, you know, to kind of exercise that vision and was given responsibility around vision, even if it was small things, um, it really fostered and nurtured this, this, uh, this idea and this ability to create a vision and to have a vision and then be able to execute on that vision. So I got into college and, I, and you know, we only played sports growing up. So I never really had a, a summer mm-hmm. job. I mean, our summer job was sports. Mm-hmm. When I in college and I got my first job, I started working at this camp, had some amazing leaders who, who I answered to and worked with and got to watch and observe and learn from over a four or five year period. And, uh, you know, so, so those kinds of things were, were really instructive. And so even if they said, hey, we need a retaining wall here you know, figure out how to do it and make it happen. I mean, that that's very similar to having an idea or a concept for a business and then figuring out how you're going to execute. And so I was fortunate from the moment I, I was a little kid dreaming and playing sports to have, you know, a vision, but also some some idea of how to go from where you're at to where you want to be 
that carried throughout college and the jobs I had. Got out of college. I became the executive director of this camp. I was 25 and single. They took a really big risk hiring me. We raised a lot of money. You know, we, we re, you know, completely redeveloped the vision for the facilities. We remodeled everything. We redid all the programming. We hired summer staff. I mean, so along the way, I always had people who supported this idea of vision and dreaming. But I also had people who gave me really unique opportunities to be responsible for those things. And I think that was very instructive and, and shaped me and, and, and absolutely prepared me uh, to do the work that we're doing now. So w- through this, uh, and I guess just because of the way you, you tell the story, I, I, I got to ask, how, how important would you say for any entrepreneur to have uh, a support structure around him or her? I would say that it's one of the key you know, underpinnings of success, that this whole idea of a self-made person is completely untrue. Um, you know, this is not new to me, this idea, this concept, but you know, I think people like this little chip on their shoulder about how you know, I'm self-made and I got here on my own and I did this and I did that. Certainly, you obviously have a responsibility and, and a role to play in your own success. There's no doubt about that. But the idea that you're self-made is, I, I think it's, it's, it's you know, blatantly false and, and creates you know, really negative things in, in a person's journey because they, they, they become autonomous and independent and they, you know, they, they become blind to their own weaknesses and, and they think their strengths are pretty much you know, unlimited. And so I think that uh, to be a successful entrepreneur and to be a successful you know, business person, someone who doesn't just start something but manages it and, and nurtures and fosters its health, requires you to be able to lean into other people. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of examples of types of people you have to lean into, but you know, you say, well, how important is that to an entrepreneur? I, I would argue that it's one of the most important things an entrepreneur or a business person can do. <laughs> What's interesting is that you use words like manages, nurtures, and fosters its health. Um, sounds like you have some children. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, those are words that are typically associated, again, with raising, you know, kids, nurturing and fostering. But how similar has the experience been for you, would you say, raising a kid versus raising a business? I mean, as you pointed out, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day that that people want to love their work and they they, they want their work to be life giving. And if if you don't nurture and and nurture them as individuals, foster the environment around them that enables them to love their work and for their work to be life-giving, then ultimately you don't have a successful company. And that's the same, that's, that's also true, obviously, for children, that, you know, the, the, the healthier the home, uh, the healthier their parents, you know, the, the, the more nurtured they are in their strengths and, and the awareness of the world around them, the greater likelihood they are going to be healthy children who turn into healthy adults, who turn into contributing members of society, Right. And, and so I would say there's tremendous parallels between, you know, leading, you know, I don't like the word managing. <laughs> my, my, my job is not to manage my children. My job is to lead my children in the same, same way. I mean, I obviously have man- management level responsibilities with our team, but I think that the better postured position to take is, is leadership because leadership assumes nurturing, caring for you know, taking care of the entire person, not just like managing their tasks. Tasks are important. Management is important. But I think what's most critical, particularly for small businesses, is is really leading people, not just managing people. Okay. So I have a question. 
when you say leading people versus managing people, you're making a distinction that I'm going to assume that not everybody understands. Elaborate for us for a second. Well, I'm not John Maxwell, so let's remind your audience <laughs> of that. And so you, sure, this, totally this is a free podcast. Yeah, take do your it best. Leave do it. your best. You know, I, I would just simplify it. You know, I, I, when I think of management, I think of organizational structures. I think of systems and processes. You know, I think, you know, depending on what kind of business you are in, you know, delivering, you know, delivering the services that you offer and all those things have to be managed, right? I mean, books have to be managed, deliver, deliverables have to be managed, systems and processes have to be managed, implemented, tweaked, you know, observed, changed, all those things. That's kind of management. And there's an element of managing people within the context of those things, the organization, systems and processes, delivery of services, et cetera, et cetera. It's very tactical, if you will, very logistical and very important. When I think, so that's what I think of when I think of management, um, though that's obviously not an exhaustive definition. When I think of leadership, I, I think of something that's a lot more, you know, has a lot more gray area in it, for example, right? Um, it's not just task-oriented like you know, step one, step two, step three, and then it's done. Um, leadership is much more about, uh, about, you know, when you think about people, it's, you know, at least in my opinion, it's about how do we lead the entire person? So not just how do we help them be the best at their work, but how do we help them be best at all of their life, their spiritual, physical, emotional, you know, work, all of their health contributes to the health and success of their work. And so when I think of leadership, I think of those kinds of characteristics. I think of having a clear vision and communicating it effectively to your people so that everyone's going in the same direction. I mean, not everyone is, 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 is uh, necessarily a leader um, in an organization. And so I think if you're the owner of the organization or you're the leader of the organization, you have a responsibility to create vision and then communicate very clearly um, how, how you believe that your organization is going to accomplish that vision. So th those are the kinds of things that I think distinguish leadership from management. Got it. So let, let's take a leap for a second, uh, because your, your journey, you, you're starting out on sports teams, go through college, you're working for a, a camp, they give you continuing responsibilities. But at, at some point during this journey, you, you develop what a, that bug, that itch, that thing that says, you know, hey... Uh, it's often what I can call that superhero moment. You you discover I've got this thing, and not only do I have it, I'm going to go do it on my own. Tell us about that process and what was that like for you? Hello there, entrepreneur. This is Jay Massey. I know that if you've ever gone over to the site CashflowDiary.com, you may have asked yourself, where on earth do you get a domain name from? Especially as you are beginning to build your bigger, better, better business, you need a web presence. You need the email address. You need a way for people to contact you electronically so that you can stop doing the at gmail.com game. Well, the good folks over at GoDaddy have definitely supplied us with every domain that we have ever used. So what I want you to do is I want you to go over to trygodaddy.com forward slash cashflowdiary. Again, that's trygodaddy.com forward slash cashflowdiary because it's a quick way for you to get set up to capture your domain name the exact way that you want it. They got easy search functions. And most importantly for you is that you'll be up and running today. As I said, once you get started, stay started. Don't let small little obstacles of how to get your own domain name going stop you. So again, go to trygodaddy.com forward slash cash flow diary. And let's get back to the rest of the story. So when I was in college and then right after, I was given these, these work opportunities uh, to really foster creating 
and executing and developing, right? So creating an idea or cre- you know, creating a vision or a plan for something and then given the responsibility to execute on said plan and then having to develop that thing, right? So you can't just start something, execute for a while, and then you know, you're off to something else, right? You have to develop it and you have to, to lead it and manage it and you know, continue to evolve and, and tweak. And so throughout four, five, six years, I mean, just through different, different things, jobs and, and other things, I was given the opportunity to, to, to really do those kinds of things, create a vision, execute on that vision, and then develop it out, right? And, and build it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so as I got to do that, I began to see that those were strengths of mine. I, I have a lot of weaknesses. <laughs> and as I was getting those experiences, I was, I was beginning for the first time in my life to identify what are some of my strengths. And so as I was exposed to those things, I, I really kind of fell in love with the idea of creating. Like I really like creating things. So that led me from the camp to the church where I was in charge of domestic church planting, which is very, very, very entrepreneurial. It, starting a church and starting a business are not the same thing. They're not, they're not even close to the same thing. And I don't want to insinuate that. But there is a lot of overlap. So even in that experience, I got the experience of recruiting and creating and planning and executing and nurturing and delivering, right? And so I continued to be able to use what I thought and believed to be, be my strengths. Well, it all culminated when you know, I, wanted to, I wanted to take this job at a church, but it was for not very much money. And so my wife and I decided, you know what? We really want to work. I, I really want to work at this church. I really want to do this work, but I don't want to live on $40,000 a year. And so we said, let's take the job, but let's start, let's start, start a side hustle to, to be able to, you know, supplement our income. And so that was the very first time I really ever had a vision of actually starting, you know, I, I use air quotes around this, you know, a business because for the first two or three years, it was more of a side hustle and supplemental income, not a real business. Um, but once we did that, you know, we started picking up some customers and figuring out how to deliver our service. It was an absolute blast. And so once I got, you know, once I kind of got a taste of the Kool-Aid in that sense, you know, <laughs> the, the rest is history. So I worked at that church for nearly four years. You know, we did primitive social kind of on the side for supplemental income. Long story short, a friend of mine came along and called it a hobby and it pissed me off because I'm really competitive. I reflected on it. I thought, you know what? It's 100% right. It is a side hobby. So what do we need to do to start thinking about this more like a real business and, and see what we can create in it? So that was about, you know, a little over three years ago. and so. You know, less than three employees and less than hundred thousand dollars in revenue in 2014 to doing over four million dollars this year. It's you know been quite the journey. <laughs> um, you know, some might say you should get mad more often. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. true. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Okay, cool. So tell us, um, we, you know, just just like a, a child, it, it changes over time. Is primitive social the same today as it was when it began? Almost oh, definitely not. I mean, it, it, yeah, not not even remotely close. Actually, it's like being in two different universes, to be honest. Um. So, what would you say is the, uh, what would you say is the, what what has changed? What's different? What do you guys do? What what it, what changed it through this growing up process? Oh man, I don't even know where to start. I mean, when you're when you're really small. And you have a really small team, everybody's touching everything, right? I mean, so if I sold a client, I'm still working on the client, you know, and everyone has kind of their hands in the pot as it as it related to serving the customer. So that's one significant difference now is, you know, I'm three or four levels removed from the actual customer work. And that's very, very different than it was, I mean, even two years ago or a year ago, but especially three or four years ago 
um, when we really started to think about, you know, building the business. And so, you know, the, the culture changes when you go from two or three people who are, who are touching every element of the client to having, now we have nearly 56 people. Um, so, so the way you deliver your services changes, your culture changes, the way that you communicate to your, to your teammate changes, you know, when there's only three or four of you sitting around a table, communication is really open and, and, and easy to, to have spontaneously. And so communication is pretty effective because, you know, the environment is conducive to quick feedback and quick communication and quick collaboration. When you go from, you know, five people sitting around one table to 56 people, half of which are in Lubbock, half of which all over the country working remotely, <laughs> you know, it changes the dynamics of, how you communicate vision and how you create vision and, you know, how you, how you nurture relationships within your company. So, um, those things are, are huge impacts on people and culture. The way you deliver your services goes through a major iteration and change. I mean, the way you do sales completely changes. Um, I mean, really every dynamic of your organization radically changes at each life stage of your company's growth. Right. And obviously it looks different for every business, given all the variables that go into to, to, to starting a company and growing a company and managing a company. But those are the kinds of things that really jump out to me that, that have been really big shifts, you know, at each different life stage of a company. No doubt, no doubt for sure. So let's dive into it uh, a, a little bit when it comes to, to primitive social and, and what you guys are up to um, what types of businesses tend to seek you out or how can a business know that, you know what, I need some help in this area. Sure. I mean, the, the, I guess the simple and short answer is, is like any company who's looking to make progress or to grow their company um, f from any element of, of digital, we're able to support. So we build custom software. We do custom designed and developed websites. We do a tremendous amount of inbound marketing or content marketing where, you know, the entire a goal of the of the of the strategy of, of the of the service to our customer is to help them grow their business. You know, generate more leads, support them in the sales process. We do a lot of video uh, video production and sales enablement, and a lot of social media. So, you know, we we really thrive when when a business is looking to kind of accelerate, start, improve, maximize. You know, their entire digital ecosystem. So we have some customers where we just do one of those things for them. We have a lot of customers where we do, you know, all of those things. And so those are the companies we end up working with. So we don't have a vertical, like we don't just work with healthcare. We don't just work with startups or just work with ag related companies. We, we work with all kinds of companies, but really the commonality uh, amongst all of our customers is they have very specific goals and objectives and that they, they, they need support as it relates to digital specifically. We don't do TVD production. We don't place traditional media. Um, we, we really, uh, are biased towards and prioritize, uh, marketing specifically that you can, you can measure. Whoa. What do you mean by, I do, well, you, you got my attention when you say marketing that you can measure. Cause that's always my thing is, uh, I, I'm an ROI kind of guy. That's just kind sure. of what, what, I, yeah. what I'm always looking for. So explain. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think you're right to be that way. I mean, I think that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, marketing uh, kind of, and it still has this reputation to some degree. Hopefully, it's changing for the better. But you know, rightfully had this this kind of um, reputation for being a black hole. You know that that you know everyone you know spent some level of resources on marketing because you kind of had to. But there there was no way to measure the return on investment. You know, of placing TV or newspaper or whatever the case may have been ten or fifteen years ago. I think digital has completely 
change that landscape where now every dollar you spend, you, you should be able to create a system and process in which you're able to measure it. And, and what, we, what we encourage our customers to consider is like, look, you know, don't stop doing anything just because we said to stop doing it. Just stop doing things that you yourself cannot you know, numerically measure in terms of impact or acknowledge that you're going to spend money on certain marketing that you know you can't measure, you're not going to expect to measure, and you just wanted to do you know, something that you, you, you know it's not going to be able to, to be measured, right? And so I, I think that that's why digital is so powerful, is if you spend $1, you should be able to know whether that $1 worked for you or didn't work for you. You should know why it worked and why it didn't work and be able to evolve and tweak and change your strategy accordingly. So um, I, I, I think it's, it's critical and it's a huge differentiator between traditional marketing and digital marketing. Okay. Well, well now I've got to play devil, devil's advocate for a second Please because do. I know somewhere right now, someone's walking their dog, washing the dishes, driving the car as they're listening. And they're saying it, if they could, they would say, but Kate, I tried Facebook and it didn't work. What would you say? Well, yeah, that's an impossible. I appreciate you trying to play devil's advocate, but <laughs> there's an impossible number of variables that go into actually doing this kind of work. And so without knowing, you know, all the variables that went into it, it's impossible. I mean, it, it just, I'll give you some commonalities of our customers that usually don't work. And perhaps for the person washing dishes, you know, asking this, uh, you know, this uh, devil advocate's question, <laughs> uh, perhaps it'll, it'll be sufficient. I think that a good deal of people who aren't successful, regardless of whether it's digital marketing or traditional marketing, whatever kind of marketing or sales or growth strategy or whatever, is they don't actually have a strategy. They focus on tactics before strategy. Anybody can throw up content on, on Facebook. Like that's not really the secret sauce. Anyone can put up content. Anyone can throw up a digital ad. Um, it's not the tactics that I think are, are the most critical for anyone's strategy. It's the actual strategy itself. Who is the audience? Hmm. What are they looking for? How can I add value to them? You know, where are they at? What are my specific goals? What am I trying to accomplish by, by targeting or creating value for this audience? And so people don't usually start there. They usually start with, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw up a blog a week and I'm going to put up Facebook and I'm going to spend X amount on digital ads and I'm going to see what happens. And when that is the approach, it, it, it will fail uh, nine out of 10 times. Sometimes you'll get lucky. Most of the time it'll fail. And so uh, you, you have to start strategy before tactics. And so for the person who launched some big Facebook campaign and it didn't work or it, it didn't, you know, it didn't feel like it worked to them, you know, I would ask, did you start with an actual robust strategy that had specific measurable goals and objectives that, you know, intentionally mapped out, you know, who, who is your audience and who are you trying to create value for? Um, those kinds of things. Agreed 100%. Now, the, I'm a, uh, and there's this, there's another person who's also listening and I want to, I want to poke at you for, from their perspective as well, because they, they, they could be more kind of how I feel from time to time. Uh, it, it feels like every 30 seconds, there's a new platform and it's like, oh my God, how can I, I, how on earth do I have time to be there too? Because you, you've got your Facebook, you got your YouTube, you got Instagram, you got Snapchat, you got everything on the planet and it feels impossible to be everywhere. 
But for the for the entrepreneur who's feeling like, you know, I, I want to spread my wings and, and, and get that word out there, what are they to do? That's a great question. So there's a couple of things that come to my mind. The number one is you have to prioritize your goals and your budget. So, you, you know, just like you can't be all things to all people at all times, you, you can't you can't oftentimes do the same thing as from a digital marketing perspective, not only for the reasons you say, which is something's always rolling out. Something's always new. There's always a new, you know, new rabbit to chase. But in addition, most people don't have unlimited budgets. And so um, you have to prioritize your goals and you have to prioritize your budget. Out of that, you then need to really focus on the on the fundamentals, focus on the basics. And so based on whatever it is you're trying to accomplish as a business. And based on your budget, not just budget for finances, but your budget in terms of time allocation, you got to really focus then on, okay, based on what my goals are, based on what my budget of time and money is, what do I need to focus on now? And really focus on, on the basics. Don't take what little budget or little time you have and focus it on some new shiny object that came out last week, right? <laughs> and so when I say the basics, that's, that's what I mean by the basics, right? You know, make sure you have a good website. Make sure you have a really good, even if it's simple, uh, a really good social media presence. Make sure you're thinking through what kind of digital ad strategy you have. With all the platforms on, on social now, you, you can't just like organically throw up content and expect anything to work nowadays. And so you need to do the basics of digital ad management well. And then the, then the third thing and the last thing I would say to that person is be okay developing a strategy and a game plan and then just sticking with it for two, three, four months and measuring it. And then adapting. A lot of times people will do something for two or three weeks, arbitrarily believe that it's not working, and then change their strategy and go off into another direction. Hmm. And so they, they, they never actually give themselves an opportunity to, to, to reap the kind of compound interest, so to speak, of digital marketing, because they're always off chasing other rabbits. And so, so prioritize your goal and budget, focus on the basics or the fundamentals, and then be okay just running that offense for two or three months, measuring it, and then tweaking it versus every time you read some new blog post or some new news article, you know, you go off and change your strategy because you're going to try this new magic pill all of a sudden. So avoid, avoid those things. But, but Cade, the, it, it, the article sounded so good. <laughs> and all my friends are saying. <laughs> run forth at your own peril then, I guess. <laughs> no, nah, totally understood. Totally understood. So if I was to, to pin you down in a corner and say, this is the social media plan or platform that every business needed to touch. Would you be able to answer that question? So are you talking about just specifically social media alone, or are you talking about a more kind of holistic uh, digital, digital presence and strategy? Right now I'm talking about social, then we're going to elevate to digital because I have, I, I have my thoughts, but I, I'm okay. curious first there. Yeah, I, I'll be really honest with you. I don't like Facebook, but it's still the kind of 800-pound <laughs> gorilla. You know, like, honestly, if I didn't own a digital marketing company, I'd get off all of them entirely. Um, Got it. But anyway, we might have to have another show entirely around that. I would still focus <laughs> on Facebook. Um, you know, there, there, there are millions and millions of people, no matter yeah. who your target audience, still on right. Facebook. With the ability to target certain audiences and in, in demographics and all kinds of information based on whoever your audience is, you know, the digital ad platform is still by far, in, in my humble opinion, you know, the best digital ad platform there is. So mm -hmm. I, I, I can't say I personally enjoy or like Facebook, but if, if, if someone had to pick amongst all the platforms at this point, you know, I'd, I'd pick Facebook uh, for sure. 
Got it. And let, let's take it a little bit larger now. Instead of just social, let's go digital. What, what's, the, what's the medium? What's the plan uh, of attack? What, what's the, the central um, linchpin that you go, you know what? You got to have this. Yeah, sure. If this is a really small business and they have very limited resources and time and money, um, and, and they, but they understand the importance of digital marketing as they should, uh, here are the kinds of things I would start with. First of all, I'd make sure that you had a really helpful website. So not just a website with basic information, but a really helpful website. So you know whatever your industry is, whatever it is your product or service or whatever you're trying to do for your customer, be helpful for them on your website. Not just your pricing information, not just what you do as a service, but 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 be over over the top kind of helpful and make your website a place that you know if someone wanted to do whatever you do on their own they could do that if that's what they decided to do so have a website that's beyond information has information but is definitely you know a, a resource a, a tool for education and helpfulness the second thing i would focus on is, is your social media um, so again if you're a small business if you have limited time and limited resources then I would focus on the basics and the fundamentals. And I think that is a really good website, a really good, basic, intentional, thoughtful, helpful social media strategy. And then lastly, I would really focus on email. The thing about email is, hmm. is it's not buying lists, not, you know, not, uh, not, you know, force feeding your audience with, with your content. Uh, but you know, even if you're starting at zero and even if it's arduous and a long journey from zero to a hundred, you know, people in your email list, Really, you know, really pursue email as another channel or platform to be over the top kind of helpful. So not salesy, but helpful. And I, I think that's a really important distinction. So, you know, if you have limited time and limited resources, you know, I think those three things are, are really a really good place to start and, and a really good place to excel at first. And, uh, you know, I guess the last thing uh, that I would say to the basics is measure, right? So data. So even if all you're doing is having a website, basic social media and email, you know, seek to measure all of it. So you always have good, clean data structure. Um, where so many of our customers have had a website for 10 years, but they never had Google Analytics. So mm. it's like you can't really create a baseline, you know, data point for them to help show progress over three months and six months and nine months and 12 months. And so, you know, if you're starting out and, and you're going to do kind of DIY this, you know, just don't forget, even if it's really sim a, a simplistic approach to data and, and measuring, just, just make sure what you, you have, what I would call just a pure data, you know, infrastructure so that you can always be measuring your progress and have as much helpful information as, you know, as you can. You know, <laughs> when you say, the measure and the, the data and the analytics, I can get lost in those things for hours and have tons of fun. Uh, but I, I just got to know, and you, just tell me that the, you've done this at least once. There have been times where we have launched something and then I find myself just hitting refresh over and over again because I want to keep seeing the, the numbers come in or the data as it arrives. And it's overly intoxicating to me. Please tell me you've done that at least <laughs> once. I think that's definitely a natural, a natural thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Good. I feel normal. Ah, I was wondering. It, it, there's something about it, being able to send out an email and see, you know, real time response like that. It's like someone is always listening, always waiting right there, and it's 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 pretty pretty good. But I got to be honest, uh, I didn't expect email to make your list. But so, I mean, open rates are are not exactly what they used to be. Neither is click through. So why why is email still on the list? 
I still think depending on your audience, I mean, if 17 year olds are your audience, you know, if like you have a product or service that serves certain demographics and you know, that would be a bad strategy. But, uh, I think that for, I think for a brand or a company that establishes trust and credibility from day one, that they're about adding value and being helpful to their audience, that so long as that's the foot you're getting off, you know, that, that you're starting off on, um, that, that email is still a valuable channel in order to, you know, connect and nurture, uh, your existing, you know, leads, prospects, and customers. And, and where people hate email is when email is referred to as spam. And there's a big difference between, you know, content that's helpful and content that's just salesy and, uh, you know, disruptive. And so I think it's still really critical, but what's critical is how, how you actually approach the channel. And going back to strategy is who is your audience? You know, if I'm targeting, you know, I'm going to get really granular here, but if I'm targeting a, a male audience of, you know, 43 to 56, um, then they, they're in their email. Uh, and if I'm being helpful and I'm connecting and I'm adding value to them, you know, then you're going to see a much better email open rate than if you bought a list of 5,000 people and are just treating everyone as equals, but they're not equals, you know? And so I, I think those are the kinds of things you have to consider um, as you think through if, if email for you is an actual, you know, a channel worth investing in. Got it. So when it comes down to it, do you, because uh, what you're speaking of is the, at least I know it as the concept of uh, segmenting your, your, your database and email list. Is that a part of the process that you guys take your customers through as well? Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's a lot easier when you're starting at zero because you can set up that segmentation and identify and prioritize, you know, that strategy <laughs> from day one. No bad it's habits. It's obviously, a, yeah, no bad habits, but it's obviously a lot more arduous and difficult, you know, take a database of, you know, I talked to a client or a prospect, I think it was yesterday, of 50,000 emails. So it's like, okay, you know, that, that's, that's like a much longer term project. Uh, to segment that kind of data than it is starting, you know, starting new and fresh and clean and having the opportunity to build it out on a healthy foundation from day one. Got it. Cool. So only because uh, I, I'm, I'm interested and we're now talking about this, I'm curious to know if give me a, a, a I'm going to go for a tool recommendation in the email space based upon budget, just starting out kind of on the way, uh, and then the super, this is the Cadillac granddaddy of them all. Do you, do you have a recommendation in, in that category? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I don't think people who are just getting started can go wrong using MailChimp. I mean, we've used a lot of different platforms and, uh, there's, there's a lot of really good basic ones that you, you really just can't go wrong with. But if I had to pick one out of all the ones that are available, I still think MailChimp is a really great product for people just getting started out. Um, you know, who, who have very small budget, it's fairly intuitive for the person who's not really a technologist and, you know, can't get in there and chop it all up. (laughs) So, I mean, I think MailChimp's really good for someone just starting. I think that for the person who has like a comprehensive digital marketing strategy that goes way beyond some of the fundamentals and basics we've talked about, we, we focus and prioritize HubSpot. Now HubSpot is vastly more than just email marketing. But if you're, you know, focused on a comprehensive digital marketing strategy to grow your company, you need all the other assets and tools and resources that HubSpot's marketing automation platform provides. And, and one of those things is email. And, you know, because it's an integrated platform, you know, I, I think that it, it's a good solution. 
Nice. Now, for those that have listened this far and uh, either they're, they're going, man, I, I am resonating with everything that Kate is sharing. I get it. I understand it. Or the person who's going, yeah, I know what Cade says is important, but this is going over my head. <laughs> How are they going to find out more information? What's the best way to track you down to, to find out more about what you guys got going on? Sure. We, we, we try to uh, practice what we preach on our own website. So if you just go to Primitive Social, P-R-I-M-I-T-I-V-E, PrimitiveSocial.com, I mean, there is a tremendous, tremendous amount of content that we really you know, created out of a desire to be helpful. So you can go there. Um, someone who really wants to focus just on like wrapping their mind around what a good, healthy digital ecosystem looks like. Um, we have an ebook that I think you're going to link to called creating a healthy digital ecosystem. It's, it's, it's pretty long. It's around 50 pages. Um, but we tried to, to be really practical and helpful for the person who, you know, starting a business or running a small business who, who really wants to excel at at the, in the digital space and wants to know kind of what to focus on and where to go. So those are, those are two places that I, I I would push people and, uh, hopefully they can find a lot of valuable resources there. Indeed. Indeed. Um, as we wind down here, I've got a final question for you because I'm kind of curious to hear your answer. Um, let, let's pretend that someone listening, they've gotten to what I like to call that precipice of decision. Maybe they're even standing in front of the superhero outfit store. Okay, they are ready to pick out their cape and tights. They're going to go do this thing finally. But you know, like I know, that when we reach these moments of decisions, Oftentimes we have a companion and that companion comes in the form of a voice and that voice can remind us of things. You know, you you remember that last time you tried that Facebook campaign? It didn't really work. What's going to be different? I mean, YouTube, I don't know. You, you, you're going to do what online? I mean, are you sure nobody's going to buy your, no one's going to ever get on your email. I mean, it says things like that to us. And for some people, they're even related to that voice. So my, my question to you is as follows. Let's pretend that this time they're, they're going to follow through and they're going to do so in the next 24 to 48 hours. What would you suggest that they do? Yeah, I, I would really evaluate um, their website. I mean, I, I think that the, the first inclination of most customers of any product or service is to go straight to Google. And, and, and so when they find your site, what are they going to find? And so that's the very, very first place that I would start. And then kind of philosophically, so that's really pragmatic and practical. I think philosophically what I would say is, you, you know, if you are going to be a successful entrepreneur, in my humble opinion, you're going to have to have resilience. And one thing that resilience is, is that you don't quit at the very, you know, first experience of, of resistance or, or failure. And so, you know, you, you, can't, you can't be soft in that regard. Um, you're going to strike out a lot more than you hit a home run. And so, um, practically speaking, if they're thinking about what is my very first step, I would say, you know, as it relates to digital marketing, focus on your website. If it's talking about the characteristics and elements and responsibility of being an entrepreneur and therefore a business owner and therefore a leader, even if it's of a very small team and even if it's a very you know, small set of customers, you're still a leader. You have to develop resilience and, and not quit at the first wave of resistance or you know, challenge and, and learn from, learn from those things and let that instruct you as you evolve and tweak and change and grow and, you know, continue to develop. Agreed. 100%. I I definitely appreciate your very practical, uh, approach, uh, to what can seem to be an overwhelming topic for many. 
uh, and I, I'm glad that you are you're out there helping the the small business guy to to become something bigger, better, better than what we could do all, on our own. Because it, what you do is there's so much to learn and so much to know, and it changes so quickly. Knowing that there's a a place to go that can help us uh, continue to achieve our goals, well, that that's very important, and I definitely. Want to be one of the first to say I appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge, your wisdom, and your insight here with us today at the Cashflow Diary, sir. Hey, I really appreciate it. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, I really have enjoyed your show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's time for you to move at the speed of instruction. What does that mean? Well, this time, it means you're going to go to cashflowdiary.com. Why? Because there, in the show notes for this particular episode, you'll find the link to creating a healthy digital ecosystem. You know you want it. And what does it cost you? Nothing. Time. Go. Learn. Grab it. But more importantly than all of that, here's what you want to make sure that you do. I need you to do something. You've thought about it long enough. You've tried before. I get it. But now it's time to pick up the pieces and try one more time because on the other side of that try is the possibility of change, your future, as well as success. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been fun talking to you today. I look forward to talking to you soon. Until next time. 